There are two Bible readings this morning. And the first is from Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And you can find that on page 869. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The second reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he had put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. 
He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Good morning. My name's uh, Stephen. If I uh, haven't met you yet, one of the ministers here, it's, um, it's uh, great to be together again as God's people. Have you ever come across a verse in the Bible that you just can't understand? Or uh, maybe a non-Christian friend helpfully brings it to your attention and, and quotes it to you? And it, it just seems to go against everything that you thought you knew to be true about God. Maybe the, the conversation could go something like this. You know, the Christian says, the Bible says uh, in the Bible, God says sex is for marriage. And the non-Christian says, yeah, but in the Bible, God also says you should stone disobedient children, like in Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. Verse 21. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Some of the kids are looking a little bit nervous here. They didn't realize that was in the Bible. What do you say at that point? You say, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. Well, it's not really an adequate answer, is it? These kind of verses, they can be really off-putting when you come across them or when someone else brings them to your attention. Way back in early church history, there was a man who found these verses so off-putting that he came up with his own theory. This was his theory. The God of the Old Testament must be different to the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was evil and the God of the New Testament was good. Now, that that man's name was Marcion, and he ended up with this really sad and and horrible theory, because partly because he couldn't see how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. He couldn't see how the Bible was one big story about the same God. Now, a lot of our struggles when it comes to understanding the Bible are actually for a similar reason, and we might not end up in such an awful uh, conclusion as Marcion, But we too can miss that the Bible is an unfolding story. It's not a list of rules. It's not a moral guideline. It's not a history book. It has all those things in it, of course. But it is first and foremost a story. A true story. And like stories, all stories, it has twists and turns. There are critical moments that if you miss them, you're going to miss the whole point of what's going on. Uh, if you left the room right when, when Darth Vader said to, to Luke, Luke, I am your father, 
You're going to be pretty lost in the, in the story of Star Wars, aren't you? That's a critical moment. Well, in this series, we're going to look at the critical moments in the Bible. We're going to look at 10 moments that you've got to see. 10 moments that stand out and, and change the way we view everything. And we're calling them pop-up moments for two reasons. Because they kind of they stand out, they pop up. But also because, like Mike uh, said, like a pop-up store that comes and goes, we're going to come and go with this series throughout the rest of the year. So what's the first pop-up moment in the Bible? Well, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? It's God making the world. Without the creation, there'd be no unfolding story. But the, the beginning does more than just create a stage for the drama to unfold. The beginning also sets the stage. It gives the context in which everything else is going to play out and it introduces the characters. The two main characters that we meet in the first pop-up moment are God and humanity. And we learn two fundamental things which are absolutely critical to get if you're going to understand the Bible's story. This is what we learn. We learn that humanity is made for relationship with God. And second, we learn that humanity is made for relationship with each other. These are two things, critical things to get, that are built into the story. And because this is a true story, these are two things that are built into the, the very fabric of reality. We're going to look at the nature of these two relationships so the first one, in verse 7, have a look with me. Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now what we see here is, is the basic point that God is our creator. It's basic but it governs everything in this story. It governs everything in this universe, in fact. This world is, is designed and constructed by God. He's the one who determines everything's existence, the nature of everything, and the purpose of everything. And what this means is that he is the ruler of all things. Now, we saw this in... Um, that sort of strange reading in the book of Revelation. Those weird creatures around God's throne, they actually represent all of creation. And see what they're doing? All of creation never ceases to proclaim that God is holy, 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 almighty and eternal. Even creation that's in rebellion to God can say one, thing's, one thing with their mouths, right? But their very existence declares another. God is holy. It's said three times. It means that, that God is different to creation. He's outside, above and beyond creation. And because he's creator, he's the ruler. If we're going to have any chance of understanding the Bible and reality, in fact, we've got to grasp this most basic point. God is the creator. And so the Bible 
And this world is the story of God. It's the story of, of the artist, the scientist, the mind behind this world. Now, of course, God has an existence prior to creation. He has a character independent of creation. But we have no access to him or, or knowledge of him except through his self-revelation on this stage of creation. There's no way for us to access him apart from how he reveals himself on this stage that he's created. You know, when we think about what's his rule like, what is his character like, well, that's what this story is all about. Now, of course, there are and there always have been alternative narratives to understand the story of this world, narratives that conflict with the Bible. Uh, There was one that was around when Genesis was written down. Um, It's called the Enuma Elish. In this account, creation is the result of warring gods, right? (laughs) The earth is actually made from the carcass of one of the gods. Um, And humanity in this story is kind of created as an afterthought to be slaves to the gods. That's one. We don't really give it much place these days or nobody's really likely to believe it. A more modern account, though, of creation is that the world is the product of chance. You know, despite unbelievable odds, all of this universe exists with no creator, with no purpose or, or meaning. It, it just is. It's the product of impersonal yet supreme forces of nature. Of course, the problem with this narrative is that the odds are just so ridiculously impossibly stacked against the end product, this, that people see the need to suggest that there's not one universe. I don't know if you've ever come across this idea, but there are multiverses, an infinite number of universes out there. And you see, when there's an infinite number of universes, then it makes it highly likely that there'd be a world like this. Now, of course, there's no real evidence for that. You just have to accept it on a faith basis. See, there are alternative stories out there that stand in conflict with the Bible, but in the end, they fall short. And part of the reason that they fall short is that they fail to give an adequate account of the key aspects of human existence. Well, back to our story, which says that critical to understanding reality is understanding that God has made us And he's made us for relationship with him. And key to understanding the relationship between humans and God is to understand that God is the creator and therefore the ruler. We humans, we relate to God as creatures. Did you notice what we're formed out of? Dust, right? Dirt, the stuff of this earth. We're not noble or different to the rest of creation in and of ourselves. We're not holy. We're fellow creatures. And yet we also read that God gives humanity a special place in this creation. Like Mike said, we're created last. We're created as the pinnacle of creation. And we see God gives us a unique habitat in verse 8. Have a look with me. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, 
and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. See that? God's not just the ruler of this creation. He's the good, kind ruler. He's not like a a crazy scientist who sort of makes something and and then doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, Like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. He's, He's not like Frankenstein, who's actually the scientist, makes this creature, kind of freaks out, runs away, and abandons it to become a monster. God's not like that. He places humanity in the perfect environment to thrive. And more than that, God gives us a special role in the creation. Have a look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God plants the garden. He starts the work. But he gives humanity the job of taking care of it. Let's just pause and see where the the story is up to so far in the Bible. So the stage is set, right? This is going to be a riveting drama about humanity as a gardener. It's starting to sound a bit more like an ABC documentary, isn't it? Bit, the Bible's sounding a bit more like a subscription to Diggers Club. But actually, the stage is set, but it's set to be an adventure story. There's more to the mission that God gives humanity than gardening. We would have to go to Genesis 128 to see this. See, in 128, God says... Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The idea here is humanity subduing a wild planet. Not abusing it, but bringing the order of the garden to the rest of the world. The mission is to rule the world underneath God's rule. So we've seen God is the creator, God is the good ruler, God makes humanity to share in his work by ruling under him, he makes humanity his conversation partner, no other creature is a conversation partner with God and then finally he also makes humanity moral agents. Look at verse 16 in chapter 2 and the Lord commanded the man You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Here God introduces an opportunity and a danger. They're given the opportunity to to express their, their unique relationship with God by obedience. But with that comes the danger that they could disobey and face the consequences. Okay, now the stage is well and truly set. If you want to understand the Bible and understand this life, you've got to understand that God has made us. He's made us to know him. He's made us to join him in his work. And he's made us to obey him. But before the the story gets properly underway... We come across another problem. Verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is the first time in, in the Bible 
that you come across something in creation that's not good. Like Mike said with the kids before, before that, everything was good, 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 very good. And what's not good is humanity as masculinity alone. So if humanity is the pinnacle of creation, the stage is now being set to show us the pinnacle of the pinnacle. What is that? It's not femininity, by the way, <laughs> as good as that is. <laughs> it's human relationship. That's the pinnacle of the pinnacle. Notice how God says he's going to fix the problem in verse 18. God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The woman is a suitable helper. Now, without considering this phrase properly, it could actually imply the opposite of what it's supposed to. See, if you just read that, especially with our kind of um, feminine mindset, which we have in our education and that sort of thing, if you read it with those kind of blinkers on and, and not in a fair way fair to the text, what it could sound like is that the man needs a hired hand. He needs a PA. He needs a suitable helper so that he can get the job done. Now, that misses, if we read it like that, it misses what is there in the text and it misses the depth and the beauty of this expression. It literally says that he needs a helper according to his opposite. Or, if you like, he needs help corresponding to him. It's a picture of two equals, equal in worth, equal in task, Equal in nature, but different in their expression. At its most simplistic, this is obvious, like at its, its most basic level, it has many layers, but one layer is this. Adam needs Eve if he's going to fill the earth, right? He needs someone who corresponds to him, though more than correspondence will be involved, no doubt. Male and female are needed for that aspect, that's at its most simplistic, but there's far more depth than that because filling the earth is, is just one part of, of the work that God gives them. Ruling the world in God's image requires more than one man. It requires more than two men. It requires masculinity and femininity, corresponding and complementing each other. In other words, the total is more than the sum of the two parts. The total is more than the sum of the two parts. The pinnacle of creation is human relationships. And marriage is the highest example of all human relationships. Now just stop there because for some of us that might sound naive to say that. It might sound like what someone would say who's just gotten engaged to someone they've met on the internet but never met face to face yet, right? Next week, we're going to look at the fall and we're going to see how sin enters the world and how sin taints everything, especially marriage. But even despite sin, marriage, when it's working properly, is still the highest example of all human relationships. Look at verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping... He took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a, man, a woman from the rib 
he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The picture is deep interconnectedness, deep dependence on each other. This is a key idea, a key idea built into creation, built into the story of the Bible and built into reality. Humanity is made for relationships. We're made to be connected to each other, not just in marriage, in all sorts of relationships. But the supreme example of this interconnectedness is the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Being one flesh, it means to be one domestically, one emotionally, one financially, one physically. This is deep, vulnerable, safe interconnectedness. It's nakedness without shame. It's giving all of oneself to the other and receiving from the, from the other all of themselves. Now what I'm describing should sound slightly terrifying and completely unrealistic. Because it is. Because we can't know this reality. We can only come close occasionally. Because, again, of what we'll see next week, sin taints everything. Now, just as an aside, I I think it's got to be said at this point that sex is a good thing, right? It's a good thing that's right there at the beginning. In some ways, sex is actually the supreme example of vulnerable, shameless relationship. And, of course, sin taints sex too. And so now sex too often hurts relationships rather than builds them. In fact, outside of marriage, sex can never be what God created it to be. God made sex good and he made it for marriage. That's what we see in this passage as well. Now, we saw an alternative narrative before about God being creator. There are lots of alternative narratives about human relationships too. I reckon the main one that we live and and kind of breathe and and don't even realise it is individualism. Instead of life being about relationships, human beings being created for deep, interconnected relationships, our society and culture sort of tells us that we should live as individuals, that the individual is kind of supreme rather than the relationships that we have being supreme. You see it when our individual rights come first. Um, I think you see it at all levels of culture. Like, you know, you listen to movies or songs and you've got things like listen to your heart, follow your dreams. They're kind of those messages coming across. But you see it in politics too. Individual freedom to choose and to do what you want comes first. I think we see it at the level of our decisions too. I mean, think about it, how you choose a uni course how you choose a job, where you choose to live, what house you buy. Even in smaller decisions, when you have dinner, what you do with your free time. Now, sometimes we consider relationships, but often it's more about, as a society, what we want as individuals rather 
than making decisions that build and strengthen relationships. Well, we've seen one critical moment in the story of the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible, you need to understand this key moment. You need to understand that God creates us for relationships with him. As the uh, Westminster Confession puts it, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But also we need to understand that God creates us for relationship with each other. The primary reality for humans is not being individuals, it's being in relationship. Now I want to finish by thinking about how this critical moment fits into the rest of the story, just really briefly. See, what we've seen is the foundation. We've seen God's plan built into the world. And by understanding the beginning, we'll be able to understand what happens when God's plan is is rejected and corrupted. We'll also be able to understand God's rescue plan as it begins to unfold. By seeing God's plan for the world, we'll be able to recognize how Jesus fulfills this plan. How Jesus is actually the true human in true relationship with God, in true relationship with the rest of humanity. And how he restores the world and takes it to where it was always meant to go. And finally, by understanding the beginning, we'll be able to understand the ending to see where God is taking this world to completion. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your creation of this world, for our existence. We thank you that in this world you are making yourself known by your actions and in Scripture as you interpret those actions for us. Lord, help us to see the story as it's unfolding and as it finds its fulfillment in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you've made us to be in relationship with you and in relationship with each other. Lord, um, we know that the tragic part of the story is that we have failed in our relationship with you and with each other. Lord, uh, we thank you so much for Jesus who has restored our relationship with you and is restoring our relationship with each other. We pray, Lord, as we do this series, that you'll help us to grasp the whole and understand the whole and be able to understand how some of those difficult passages and ideas and verses fit into this this story. And we pray, Lord, that by this we would grow in our love for you and in our ability to love each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.